Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. 
From earaches to strep tests, there's Minute Clinic at CVS. See a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials. Or see us online with telehealth options. That's healthier made easier. Visit Minute Clinic at CVS today. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details. All right. It's another episode of Film Study. We're still looking back to week nine. I think we would love to look back at week nine for a long time, but we're going to focus <laughs> on the offense today. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. How many more times have you watched this game as you've been processing the, the you know, game? You know, I've been watching it now for fun a couple more times after <laughs> watching all of it for the analytic reasons. So uh, it's just a wonderful afterglow from this game that will last for a long time, like you were saying. Right. All right. Well, uh, joining us today to help look back at this fun game is John Eisenberg, who is the opinion columnist over at uh, BaltimoreRavens.com. He also has a brand new book out called The League about the formation of the NFL. Um, He's also got a book about Cal Ripken's streak that I enjoyed a bunch, and he's doing the podcast over on BaltimoreRavens.com, What Happened to That Guy, which uh, this week talked about Matt Burke. John, how are you doing? Doing great. Good to be with you guys. All right. Very cool. So Matt Burke and his comedy career. Tell us just a little bit about that. Give us a little tease because it's <laughs> yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, somebody dared him to do it. So he got up on stage and he didn't crash and burn. So he continues to do it. Uh, he's doing it strictly for charity. Uh, uh, he's sort of an entrepreneur by nature. And he puts together these charities approach him. He was doing a lot of events. And he said, why don't we do something that's actually fun? So he he brings together six or seven comedians and he's the opening act and it's just a night of comedy. So when people, instead of writing checks to a charity, they actually get to come to a fun event and he's putting it together. And uh, I mean, but, you know, he's getting up on stage and 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 trying trying stuff out and uh, getting some laughs. And it's uh, it's, uh, you know, people that know him are not the least bit surprised. I mean, uh, as he said, he's sarcastic and, uh, you know, a little witty and a uh, tortured soul, like all good comedians. Yeah, very, very good. I remember some of the comedic moments, like uh, him basically telling Flacco to run on the field if he thought it was a good idea at the end of Super Bowl 47. Yeah. And uh, he does, did seem to have some of that natural edge to him. He does. He does. And I explore it in the podcast, and uh, he sort of explains it. And a very interesting guy, super smart guy, obviously went to Harvard and uh, with an economics degree and and uh, as as I said in the podcast, I mean, you know, that's a guy that could probably probably could have become commissioner of the NFL if he'd really pointed himself that way. And instead, he's doing stand up comedy. So uh, a, a natural for a uh, where are they now podcast? Are, are you for these? Where are they now? Are you going through them alphabetically? Because you had Bowler, you had uh, Bowler. <laughs> now you've got yeah. Burke sticking with the yeah, bees. A lot, of bees. a lot of bees. No, absolutely not doing uh Anything alphabetically, it's all just happenstance. My next one uh, uh, I will drop is Chris Carr. Uh, <laughs> back to it now. He's uh, an immigration attorney now. So uh, I spent really? Friday. He's an immigration attorney. So I spent Friday with him in immigration court. It's quite a tale. That that actually cool. sounds very cool. So big big uh, interception in the in the Ravens. One of the Ravens' big wins against the Patriots in that 2009 uh, AFC wildcard game that they went right. in there and kicked, kicked the Patriots' ass. 
Um, you mentioned Matt Burke before. Matt Burke kind of broke the offensive line scoring model when he was here because he set a standard that was too high, and I based a lot of the standard levels of what you need for an A, B, C at center by much higher grades than than any center since has been getting. So it's it's uh, I've had to lower that standard a couple times since to to kind of make the grades make sense. But Burke was just an amazing center in terms of how he scored when he was here. Yeah, what's amazing about that's the end of his career. I mean, he's in his yeah. mid 30s at that point, not in his prime really, but uh, still really good. In his first year with the Ravens, I believe it was his first and not his second, but his first year with the Ravens, the PFF made him the 22nd best player in all of football by their by their grading. So pretty, uh, that's pretty high. And he, he was consistently scoring aces, you know, as I scored the offensive line that season. Yeah. I, I want to start with some offensive line play, if that's okay with you, John. I'll kind of go through this and and uh, feel free to chime in on what, at whatever point you'd like, but I'll certainly give you a chance at the end of every player. How's that sound? Okay. All right. So to start with Ronnie Stanley at left tackle. He did a great job of keeping Lamar upright in this game. He didn't have any time where the, the uh, defender was actually able to get their hands on Lamar, although he did get pushed into Lamar. Uh, one time, uh, another time, uh, Lamar threw the, had, a, had a ball thrown off his helmet. Uh, that was a pressure as well. Uh, one and a half total for the game. Those were his only negative scores. He ended up with an A, the only Ravens offensive lineman in this game who scored one. Uh, so very another solid game for Stanley. He's now had seven A or B games since the opening game when he had two holding penalties and had a D. Uh, just uh, making his name and certainly on his way to a very big contract. Yeah, I mean, I think you're maybe looking at a Pro Bowl uh, appearance there, or certainly getting that sort of uh, recognition, and just incredibly consistent. I mean, I, I think the Ravens have been waiting to see this from him. Uh, the you know very high draft pick, six overall, and a lot of the guys ahead of him have have had had outstanding careers. And it's not that Ronnie hasn't; he's been very good. Uh, but I think they were looking for that next level, and he's pretty much said this. So. Uh, I think they're really pleased to see him get to that next level. It's a really important part of uh, what's happening with that offense this year. Right. He's really so, taken over as the guy in that offensive line for Yonda in some respects. Yeah. And his, the first, sorry, the second half of his rookie year, he was similarly outstanding. In fact, he might have even been a little better than he has been so far this year. But, uh, yeah, it's been, he's been had a couple injury-plagued years in a row where he's been slowed down. He's been a warrior. He stayed out there when he's hurt. Kept going back into games, limping. I mean, it's just, it's it's the worst possible thing you can you can think of to have Stanley hurt. But uh, but boy, the guy's been playing some great ball when he's been in there this year. Uh, okay, we'll, go, we'll move on to Bozeman here. He had a difficult game. Uh, he had his best game of the of the year against Seattle. Uh, took a took a step back again in this one with a bunch of uh, pressures. They did take some liberties with the A-gap, uh, and I kind of suspected they might try some stunts through there because Skura and Bozeman have had the uh, you know, the weakness in terms of pass blocking and picking up stunts in particular. Uh, Vinovich beat him uh, one time with a bull rush. We had two other, two other times he was beaten, once by bull rush and once to the outside. Uh, scored .69 as a raw score after adjustment. That's a D. Uh, one of the things that's been nice about uh, Bozeman this year so far is that he's pulled effectively. Seven of ten in this game, not a great game. He did get obstructed once, um, five blocks in level two, four pancakes. And he seems to take more joy in delivering pancake blocks than just about anybody on the line. Even Brown, I think he's probably slightly ahead of him in pancake blocks for the year. Or I haven't checked it so far. But uh, Bozeman needs to pick it up if he's going to keep that position. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure uh, who's going to replace him. Uh, that that I mean, it was an open it was an open tryout situation in training camp. I don't think they were really happy with anybody. Uh, traded Illuminor and uh, to me, unbelievably, got a oh they put there was another pick involved. They got a fourth round draft pick for him, which uh, that's like the trade of the year, if you ask me. I, I don't know how you get a fourth round draft pick for that guy, but uh, uh, well done there by Eric DeCosta. But uh, so I don't know. I mean, Bozeman does need to pick it up. I don't know what Plan B is. Powers is uh, you know not really he's not been up on most games, and so. Uh, uh, I mean, they put James Hurst back in there, I guess would be, would be it. Uh, they seem determined to make him, uh, the, the insurance, the, 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 you know, the Ryan Flaherty, so to speak, uh, playing all the positions. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I think they're, uh, I, it appears to me they're going to stick with him. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not seeing or hearing that, uh, yeah, they're going to be some ups and downs, but I think he's in there to stay. Well, with you in the building, I was kind of trying to, to hear any inside information you might have about what's going on with Powers in practice and whether they're liking what they're seeing or he still needs more time in the weight room or whatever. He hasn't been active, as you mentioned. Makari is there. And honestly, Makari did not look impressive to me in the preseason, but they obviously like him enough or like his versatility enough that they've kept him on the active game day roster. I, I don't understand it. I think it's kind of an indictment of what's happening with Powers, honestly. Because yeah. Bozeman can play center just as well as as uh, uh, not just as well as Skura can, but he can he can play center also. So you'd have multiple options there if you if you had an injury at either position. Well, I wish I had some insight for you there. Uh, you know, uh, the the reality is there's a pretty big wall up between uh, digital media and uh, the football side. If anything, we hear less. Uh, they're they're pretty careful about that stuff, and uh, I I just don't hear a whole lot. Uh, I think it's a very good question. Uh, you know, uh, a Powers, I mean, uh, you know, a, a fourth-round draft pick, uh, I mean, uh, you would you would think, I mean, this is what, what Bozeman is, a sixth-rounder, I believe. A, a That's right. In, in his second year uh, ahead of him, I mean, fourth-round draft pick uh, on the offensive line, uh, they like to see those guys play pretty quickly, and uh, it certainly doesn't appear to be so. Something is going on there. I wish I, I had more inside information, but uh, they obviously do not like something. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. Matt Skura uh, continued a very consistent season. He said all eight games that he's played have been within a very tight scoring range. He hasn't had any extreme grades, no A or F uh, so far this year. Uh, he had three minor charges in this game. Only one of them was a full pressure. Uh, B in this game, which was one of his higher scores, a point off his top. Uh, six blocks in level two was good. He had a couple highlights that really looked nice in terms of uh, combination block. Uh, I, I'm uh, very happy with who Skurry is at this point. And I think the rest of Baltimore seems to not. I, this, this is a common thing that happens with, with offensive linemen, John, is people get polar with them. They're either the greatest thing ever or they're terrible. Or they get roller skated back into the quarterback on every play. And just. Neither extreme is really true, generally speaking. Marshall Yonda is capable of an occasional trip to the bathroom. And, you know, Gino Gradkowski didn't give up a sack on every play. So yeah. it, this, somewhere in between is, is the truth there. And, and Matt Skura, honestly, I think he's taken a step forward this year. And next year, he's probably going to earn a very good living at this game in free agency right, after next year. Yeah, I believe so. And, and uh, I, I would say... Uh, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think uh, the fans should be pleased with uh, with uh, the level he's playing. 
believe me, we'd know if it was not going well. And uh, there would be big problems. And I think you also have to give Skura some credit for, you know, one thing, uh, how, how many pre-snap penalties are we seeing this year? Very few. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I think less than in prior years. And so just the whole line uh, is functioning pretty well. And yeah, it gets a great point. You're not hearing about communication issues, which, you know, is always to me sort of a buzzword for something else. But uh, you're just not hearing uh, the sort of the old bugaboos. And uh, the the center is the guy running the show up there. So, you know, you got to give him credit for that. Yeah, a lot of that missed assignment stuff is bad. You know, the other thing, the the Ravens run a power run offense. So they pull guards a lot in Roman's offense. You cannot afford to have a center with sloppy footwork that trips up either guard on the way through. The thing I've been doing recently, and I, I hate to bash an old Raven like this because he was a good guy. He was around for a long time. But Mike Flynn had very bad footwork. And he would step on Bowler's foot a lot, and he would trip up the guard from time to time. And it just was not a positive thing. And I'm looking at the 2006 season. It's at the end of his career. He's got one more year after that. But it, it's just shockingly different to watch Skura's footwork versus Flynn's footwork in, in that year. Well, Skura's self-made. I mean, the, the, listen, this is undrafted free agent. Uh, he comes to the team with a lot of holes, a lot of question marks, uh, not good enough to get drafted coming out of uh, college. So uh, a lot to work on for sure. The Ravens have done a pretty good job of that uh, with a lot of guys, not necessarily undrafted. Well, some undrafted guys, but not high draft picks. They have uh, found uh, functioning offensive linemen. It's organizationally, I think, one of the better things they've done through a number of different line coaches. And you can really go back you know, almost to the 90s or you know, the 2000s uh, there's a long history here of guys, and uh, they may not be pro bowlers, but they're solid, and uh, they've always been able to coach these guys up and and uh, uh, and get value from some guys. And Skura would be uh, certainly an example. Hurst, Hurst is another one, another one the fans hate, and uh, you know Hurst is is certainly not a world beater, but uh, he has stepped in in a lot of situations. That's another undrafted free agent. I mean, there there's a long list of them. Right. I, I, you know, there, there certainly have been a bunch of them and, and they've gotten tremendous economy in terms of who they've drafted the position that they got a Hall of Famer in the third round. They've, you know, they got they got a guy who was not good enough to play on this team, Chris Chester, who went to the NFC and had a fantastic career with the Redskins. Just a great career. But he was logjammed behind three guys who all belong to the Pro Bowl and Burke, Grubbs and Yonda here. That you know, what chance is he going to get? Except as a sixth lineman, it's it's, it's a overflow of riches. A what do you call it? Embarrassment of riches that they uh, had. Anyway, let's move on. Marshall Yonda, uh, he, we expect him to get an A every week. A B, a B this week had uh, a half a sack. I charged him with as well as a pressure and a penetration. Uh, worked out to be in the moderate B range there at point eighty six after adjustment. Two blocks in level two. Uh, he did have one pancake made of one to two poles. Two really nice highlight blocks in this game. And people, some people would look at the B here I gave him and say, but look at the run blocks he made, and they sprung the back end of Ingram's long runs and this and that. And it's true, but the truth of the matter is that pass blocking errors are more significant, and that's why I charge more heavily for them. You got more win probability on the line on those plays. So, uh, you know, Marshall, it's actually his second worst game of the year as I haven't scored at this B. Interesting. Uh... Yeah, I mean, he. Uh, I, I would say there's been uh, an ever so slight ebbing, ebbing, and you, you certainly got the numbers and everything, just a little bit, right? Would you not say, you know, from uh, just uh, the absolute uh, high level that uh, he has always attained, uh, just a little bit less maybe this year? 
But yeah. it, it's still a high level. It's still a very high level. And, uh, you know, the Ravens are not going to complain. He, uh, aside from how he plays and blocks, I mean, you know, he, he does so much. He runs the show. He runs that room. Uh, he sets the tone. You know, if uh, Ronnie Stanley is standing over there with uh, a sore finger or whatever, or something that's bothering him, you know, you know, you take one look at Marshall Yonda and it's like, well, you're, you're not going to be sitting out because of that injury. You're, get, <laughs> you're, you're getting back in the game. And so uh, he still provides huge value uh, in, the, in that room. Okay, so you're in the you're in the building. Maybe you get a, a, a little taste of this. Jan is having a great season, and he's he's clearly enjoying it in terms of some of the, We saw him lifting up DaCosta off the ground and yeah. flipping him around, and we've seen some of the other stuff in terms of him on the sideline reacting to Lamar's "Let's go for it," you know, yeah. and being frankly a terrific leader to react that way to Lamar. And Lamar knew who knew to ask if they wanted to go for it. He asked Yanda, and Yanda said, "Hell yeah, you want to go for it? We're going for it." The 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 thing I, I really want to know is, Giannis signed a two-year deal, but he kind of made it clear before this year that he would decide at the end of the year whether he's going to play that second year or not. Or possibly it could be a series of one-year extensions like we saw with Mason and Reed, I think, at the end of their careers, trying to keep him around for an extra year at a time. But eventually they're not going to, they're going to let him leave for the last year and have additional prorated bonus money. So the, qu- the question I, I'd have for you is, do you think Giannis is more likely than not to play in 2020? Uh, I think he's probably uh, more likely than not, as you as you just said. I, I think it's more likely that he does play, uh, simply because I mean we're, we're only halfway through the season, so let's see what happens. Uh, I am not hearing or seeing that he's having injury issues, which he's had a lot of them, and mm-hmm. so uh, I think more than anything, uh, when a player gets into his mid thirties, that's what wears him down. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the fans or media, a lot of us, you know, you look, we look at performance and uh, grade those things. But really, uh, what really weighs on players, I think, is the grind of playing, uh, regardless of performance. And uh, they feel they always feel they can go out there. But if it gets to be really, really difficult and they're playing through a lot, it just gets old and mm-hmm. it gets tiring. And uh, Marshall has done that already a number for a number of years, uh, far worse than this year. So he's one of these guys at age 34, 35, seems to be a little bit healthier. So, uh, And it's a running offense. He's like waited his whole career for this. So I don't, I don't see him fleeing the scene. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. I mean, he's, he's probably one of the most important players to be back for 2020, given the Ravens' interior line is not all set at this point. No. All right, let's move on. Orlando Brown, uh, we've, we've been loving up and for a year and a half of Orlando Brown. We've been enjoying, you know, what he's been bringing to the table here and uh, had another good game uh, against the Patriots here. Uh, he did allow a penetration uh, that, that blew up a play and actually impeded a, a, a pull by Bozeman, allowed two half pressures and one and a third quarterback hits. He was the only one to allow a full quarterback hit in this game. Uh, works out to be kind of a low B overall in terms of his, uh, uh, his grade uh, adjusted up. And uh, five blocks in level two, that's obviously a place where it's not easy for him. He doesn't have the, the mobility of some of the guards, uh, or, or Skura for that matter, or Stanley, uh, to get into level two and make blocks, but he occasionally has to. Uh, and, and when he does, he he's, uh, you know, can make it as well. He had one pancake in this game. Uh, I'm just very pleased with what they've got. I think they've gotten a better pass blocker than they really had the right to expect coming out of school. The, the, you know, the work... The uh, word on him, in addition to all the combine stats, was sloppy feet. 
And yeah. so he would cross his feet and he would uh, he wouldn't be able to use his length properly and whatnot. But we've seen completely the opposite. He's he's absorbed people with the bull rush and he's pushed them pushed them past that back pylon of the pocket. Yeah, I mean, I think they've gotten uh, I think they they hope they took him in the third round. I mean, uh, this year you take Jalen Ferguson in the third round and, uh, you know, he's on the field. I mean, you, you hope you you will get a player that uh, can uh, be uh, a starter for the next few years, whether you're going to get him as a rookie, as a starter, or as really hit or miss. They've had him as a since almost since, uh, you know, the start of his career here. Probably gotten more, what I'm saying, is more than they expected from him. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so there's plenty of upside still for him to go, plenty of room for him to get better. Uh, you know, I think he can be in better you know, physical shape and uh, there's a lot to work on with him. But he's just so darn big and and uh, and his footwork has been good, as you say. So, uh, you know, that's uh, that's just a huge thing that they uh, took a flyer on this guy and they found the right tackle. And uh, and so it's uh, it's really, really helped solidify this line because uh, that was a position where they were shuffling through some guys. And, uh, uh, you know, so uh, it's a it's really been a nice thing for the offense and for a running offense. I score only the Ravens games and then I, I look at PFF to compare other players. And one of the things that, you know, we've had other guests point out is just how few good right tackles there are in the league right now. There's kind of a. Uh, what do you call it? A whirlpool drawing right, the good right tackles to play left tackle for most teams. And so at right tackle, there, there aren't as many good players. I mean, Marcus Cannon is a good player with the Patriots who they just saw in this game, but they, they don't have a, there's not a, a wealth of these guys. You know, there's maybe 12 or 15 players playing right tackle in the entire NFL who are somewhat good at it. And Brown is one of those. So it's really nice to, to, uh, to have a guy at least in the top half of, of his position in the league. Yeah, uh, I thought what was interesting, and uh, you could probably answer this uh, as well, having studied the film like you did. On, on that game Sunday night, I got the feeling that uh, the, the outside rush uh, from uh, those guys, uh, the Patriots were determined to sort of contain Lamar. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know, maybe they were going to rush, but uh, they were also wanted to stay in their gaps and their lanes and not let him get outside of them. So I don't know if that impacted how the blocking was done or not. You know, sometimes I didn't feel like they were just an all-out rush. They were more determined to contain Lamar uh, and maybe let the blitzers uh, uh, do the pressures. Yeah, that's that's a real good point. So you don't always green light every pass rusher, and you force them to play two gaps and stand up their their opponent. Uh, and and there was some of that. I I think that's an accurate depiction of it. And, and also when when Lamar goes to the mesh, the responsibilities that outside rusher immediately change because their their first concern is is Lamar coming outside of me and going to beat me? I have to make that read correctly on on that ball, and that's just so much of what Lamar adds to this offense is when he goes to the mesh, it freezes players on the edge and opens up the middle unbelievably for that downhill run game. Yeah, I mean that's what's <laughs> that's why it's so effective right now. I mean, there's a lot you got to do a lot of guessing, yeah, and. Uh, I actually thought the Patriots did a pretty good job uh, of containing him, uh, sort of, and maintaining their gaps, and and uh, you know, especially on some of the designed runs and those passes where he pivoted around and went outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he wasn't. Uh, those could have been runs. I mean, I I didn't. It didn't matter. Uh, I mean, that's what I mean. It did matter. They did a pretty good job on him, but uh, I still think he still made plays, which is really really a testament to him. I mean, he still found room in between that, but they were determined 
to keep him inside and really funnel him to the inside. But he still made plays. It's really, really a testament to him. Right. I, I, I agree with what you're saying there. And the, the, the overarching theme I thought to Lamar's game was that um, he was not going to allow the New England secondary to beat the Ravens. Right. So the passes were short. His average yards per completion was 2.9 in this game. And that's the air yards on the throw. Okay, so he had a, he had a a pitch forward to um, Brown that went for the longest play that was a, probably a negative five plus thirty one or whatever it was twenty six yard play, uh, but anyway he had, he had a, a a number of short passes. Ingram took a couple of them for twenty nine yards that were pretty close to the line of scrimmage in each case. The only pass that he threw over the defense the entire night was the play to Andrews for eighteen that was might have been the biggest play of the night to get that first down. Yeah, he got a little lucky. Uh, early in that game, there were some tips that uh, he did throw. Some, I mean, those weren't super long passes, but he was throwing them into traffic. And early in the game, uh, I did feel like a, the the New England secondary had the potential to make some uh, make a difference with some tip balls, primarily, and they fell to the ground. So you're living right. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. There were three of those in the game. So there was two PDs plus one other that's not a PD that went off the helmet of Stanley. And the Patriots coming into this game had had 53 passes defensed on the year and 19 interceptions. First of all, lead the, lead the league interceptions by nine. But more than that, that ratio of interceptions per PD, because interceptions are a subset of passes defense, is unreal. They're, get, they're getting more, intercepting more than one every three <laughs> passes that are, that are put up in the air. So you've got to be very careful about that. And I thought that was one of the keys to the game is Lamar limited that to Three passes that got knocked up in the air, including the one off Stanley's helmet, uh, which was just exceptional. That that was that was part of his his value add in this game, even though he didn't uh, he wasn't slinging the ball all over the field as he has in some previous games. Yeah, I mean he he went through that that run of interceptions a couple games ago, and some of those were tips too, and not all his fault. I mean he's been pretty good on. Uh, uh, I mean some of them were his fault for sure, but uh, it, it has not been it's not been a year of picks. Uh, other than that short run, that's a huge thing, just a huge thing for this offense. I mean, part of the reason, I mean, we're all, you know, talking about how well he's playing and all this stuff, but uh, really, first and foremost, ball security uh, and not turning the ball over, uh, you know, I'm talking about him primarily. Yes. He's not fumbling like he did last year at all. Uh, I'm not, how many fumbles does he have? Zero fumbles lost this year. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's just a huge change. And, uh the passing, uh, uh, he, he's been he's had a little bit of luck, but he's also been pretty careful. So uh, that's just a, a major thing, uh, the offense keeping the ball, not turning it over. I mean, they're still turning it over some. I mean, Ingram's fumbled a couple times, but uh, generally speaking, they're holding on the ball really, really well. Yeah. All right. I want to talk a little bit about ample time and space. Uh, Lamar did not have a great ample time and space game and this despite the fact the offensive line scored well he had ample time and space only six of 24 dropbacks just briefly john that's a three second pocket where he can step into his throw which is a very generous amount of time it's truly ample in today's nfl where defensive coordinators are trying to find ways to generate pressure more quickly one of the reasons he wasn't getting ample time and space is a lot of these boots that they were running and they have almost given up on the notion of a traditional boot they 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 They've turned the back, the quarterback turns his back, which is normal, but then there's not even any kind of pretense of a handoff anymore on two of the boots they did in this game, which is really strange because the Ravens, of course, for 15 years or even longer have run the same tired old zone block left naked boot right, 
where they they hand off play action. Yeah, play action, hand off. Seven or either six or seven guys are basically leading that fake left, and then you're left with it used to be Flacco, but now it's Jackson to to make a play at one of three levels. And now it's just like we'll just get our get our other running back out to be an additional receiving option because Lamar can avoid any one player coming after him. And so they're 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 being much more uh, brazen about how they use that boot now. I'm 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 loving it, frankly, because the, the the boot with Flacco they were they were very onto it, particularly in the divisional games. Oh boy, were they onto it. So uh, yeah, I, I had seen enough of those. Anything that's new, this offense needed. I mean, it is truly a breath of fresh air. Uh, I mean, that, I, I don't want to dump on Joe. Uh, uh, you know, Joe did a lot of great things, and I was a fan of his in many respects. But, uh, I mean, you know, we could do a whole show over the change of the offense this year and what's going on. And uh, every time I watched the Broncos this year, I felt like I was seeing things that I'd seen the last four or five years here. You know, it was right. not all positive. Was not positive, and so it's. I'm fine with these uh, these changes they're making. They're exciting and they're taking advantage, Roman. They're taking advantage of of what they have in this quarterback. So uh, you know, it's 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 a different thing. I mean, Joe brought some things to the table, uh, but I think the Ravens are delighted to be where they are now with with him and 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 just a whole new set of plays. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think Roman is hopefully. Well, he should get a lot of the credit. I'm afraid that they're going to lose him and possibly Martindale both. They'll certainly both be on short lists for head coaching opportunities. Yeah. Or, you know, potentially lucrative um, assistant or, uh, you know, coordinator roles elsewhere. You know, you never know when Dan Snyder is going to go ballistic and pay double what anybody's paid for a defense coordinator previously to Wink Martindale. Well, that's true. That's true. I, I, I would be surprised to see them leave on that situation unless, Dan, listen, if Dan Snyder comes in with an offer like that, yeah. But uh, more likely to be a head coaching job, I would think. And uh, I don't know. Will it be this year? Uh, it's possible. I mean, I certainly don't see Greg Roman as uh, the offensive coordinator, uh, coordinator here for the next five years. I mean, something's going to happen. Uh, and this is a real testament to him. So. Uh, I would enjoy it now while all the, the pieces are lined up very nicely right now. And uh, you got to make the most of that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, one of the things I like to do with the ample time and space is when you have it, you have a different expectation than when you don't. In this case, uh, 124 expected yards for uh, Jackson for his opportunity set of, of 18 not ample time and space and six ample and his actual was 162 in this game net, so uh, plus 38 in the game. That's a solid one. I think it might be his second best game of the season. He's plus 204 against Miami, which is the highest I've ever recorded. So, uh, uh, you know, you're not, you're, you're, he's not going to beat that again, but it's a fine game if he can regularly go plus 38. And that's relative to a Flacco standard, by the way, from 2010 to 17. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so... Uh... So he's uh, uh, basically making the most out of uh, or getting more out of the, the situation, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And, and, and that doesn't surprise me. I mean, just, uh, you know, take away all the numbers. And, uh, you know, how many times do you see him just create something out of nothing? You yeah. Know? And uh, I think that's that's what you're referring to. Yeah. He, uh, we saw him do something he's done a little bit. Pretty much through since he's gotten here, which is short arm a ball, unfortunately, the one on the right sideline to Ingram where it looked like he was outside the pocket. Ingram looked open, 
15 yards maybe if he'd have, if he'd have caught the ball on the sideline there. I did look at the coach's film. It actually looked a little bit tighter in terms of the defense around him. So they might have lost less than a, than what looked like a fairly open field run for, by Ingram, but it was still going to be a big gain. And and uh, it was good for to see him just immediately take responsibility for that. Oh, yeah, the, that's not a problem with him. I mean, yeah. uh, that, that, that's the beauty of Lamar is uh, for a guy with so much talent, getting so much done, the really incredible thing that uh, I've observed of him, he doesn't, I mean, he knows he's good. He obviously knows he's good, but he doesn't have a huge ego. I mean, if you, uh, after the Green Bay exhibition game this summer, when he made that uh, crazy video game move that everybody talked about, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he was asked to describe it after the game, he was really incapable of describing it. He was like, uh, 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 I don't know. Uh, you know, I, this is, I don't know. I mean, I'm just playing. And then he would rather talk. He threw a pick in that game, I think. And he's like, well, let me, I want to talk about that. So, uh, and it's, it's genuine. Uh, you know, he's much easier talking about what he's not doing well than what he does do well. And uh, I, I can tell you that, uh, you know, in the high offices of the, of the castle, what they're really down on their knees praying is that uh, this young man doesn't change because he is really, uh, they love what they have right now with him in terms of those things. I'm talking about things you don't see. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they just hope that that continues because he is really good at being accountable and being a teammate. Uh, and like Joe, not throwing teammates under the bus. And uh, they're just hoping that continues. Well, they, they, he's certainly much easier to build an offense around a guy like that who, who takes responsibility personally and is affable and easy to follow. It's just it's a, it is a great situation. Yeah, um, I mean, I look at look at I mean, that's sort of lost in the shuffle of what's happening in Cleveland. Yes. Uh, where <laughs> it's continually compared. And, you know, listen, I'm a Baker Mayfield fan. I think he's a tremendous talent. But uh, I mean, there's there's things going on there. Where uh, you know coachability issues, I think, are starting to rise a little bit, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm not close to, to that team. I don't know, but it's, it's whatever is happening. It's the the opposite of it is happening here. Hey, one of the things interesting about the Baker Mayfield thing, we've all seen the video and him looking like whether it was John Candy or one of the Wet Bandits or the guy on South Park. I mean, he's being compared to everyone right now. But <laughs> the the funny thing about it to me was this. He, he was playing that game, or at least he arrived, and he still had his beard. And after the game, he shaved to look like that. So one of a couple things happened. Either, one, he lost a bet and said, if we lose this game, I'm going to shave my beard kind of thing, which is possible. Or, or number two is he decided he wanted to be a different person at the podium or whatever, but he shaved after the game, apparently. And I, it's just the weirdest thing for him to show up on the podium with that. And, and by the way, if you go to the Cleveland message boards, I didn't pick up on this. They picked up on it. And, and I I just I cannot come up with an understanding of, wow, you lose a game like that to the Broncos, a terrible team, even if it's on the road. And your first concern before you head to the podium is your facial hair. Yeah, and bad decision-making there, too, I might add. <laughs> yes. So, so, I don't know. It's, it, is a, it is a bad situation up there. And, uh, I mean, yeah, stuff like that going on. Meanwhile, you got your safety going off on Twitter so badly that you got to cut him. And, uh, uh, I mean, th- these, are, these are things that get uh, magnified when you lose. Uh, not the Twitter thing. I mean, that was just totally uncalled for. But... Uh, so I, I don't know, uh, you know, we may, I, I don't know what's going to happen up there. But with six losses, they're already 
in big, big trouble. And uh, I'll be interested to see whether they can. They certainly have talent on that team. Whether they can pull it back together, maybe beat the Steelers once. That uh, you know, I don't think the Ravens would mind that. But uh, see whether they can keep playing. Yeah, I, mean, I think at this point, these Ravens certainly got to be uh, hoping for a split between those two. I guess they still have yeah. two games left, right? Yeah. Yes, they do. All right. So the, the main question I want to ask you, because you maybe have your 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 the pulse of the media better than I do, certainly is. Is Lamar a reasonable MVP candidate at this point? There are other players certainly with better numbers like Russell Wilson. Uh, Is he an MVP candidate under some other argument? Uh, I would say he is not the top tier. He's not the top guy. Uh, Certainly Russell Wilson, I think, is the top guy. I mean, he threw five touchdown passes the other day. And uh, he's going to be on – uh, this was just to explain to me, he's going to be on t- uh, national television a bunch <laughs> coming up. And, uh, you know, it's I think it's all lined up for him. Uh, and he's just having a tremendous year. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I would think he would be the favorite. I think McCaffrey in Carolina uh, is just, uh, I mean, those are record-setting numbers that he's doing. Uh, so, I mean, Lamar, yes, he, he, is, uh, he is in the conversation, is how I am carefully writing it. Uh, I would say he is not the favorite, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's, that's fine. In, I mean, in a sense, it, it's a, he's a similar player to Wilson, not identical by any stretch, because Lamar really does run for a lot of yardage, and, and Wilson does not. But because Wilson is a threat to run and you have to spy him, or most teams do either spy him or they freeze their edge defenders— um, they have similarities, but if you're going to make the argument for Lamar, at least if I were going to make the argument for Lamar, I'd be pointing to the fact that his skills, even when not used, make the other players around him a lot better in terms of that downhill run game. Yeah, I mean Lamar. It's not all. Of, it isn't all about Lamar with this team. I mean, it, it is about Mark Ingram. I mean, on on a on a normal. You know, here we've got this great running game going, and you had this great game. He had a great game the other night, mm-hmm. and it's like storyline number 16. <laughs> uh, uh, no one's talking about it, and he wore them out. And uh, so, uh, yeah, but that's a function of Lamar, and so he does make guys better. And I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't think he'll end up being MVP, but if they go on and have a really, really strong year, the Ravens, I mean, it, it could get interesting. Uh, he's a popular guy. Uh, you know, a lot, some of this stuff is popularity contest. He's got 1.2 million uh, Instagram followers, and uh, uh, you don't know how people will be convinced. Lamar's doing a lot of things right, so uh, he belongs in that conversation. Going back to what we talked about before, with it was great. Uh, you know, no fumbles lost, and and uh, so he's playing some great football. Uh, I think it'd be tough to make him the MVP, but not impossible. Right. Well, since since Lamar started, and he obviously started at the end of last year. And now the first eight games of this year, he started 15 games for the Ravens during the regular season. During those games, the Ravens have 3,246 rushing yards. Yeah, that's in 15 games. The all-time record, point of comparison, for a 16-game season is held by the Patriots with 3,165 yards in 1978. So actually, they'd beaten it by halftime, and, and in 14 and a half of Jackson's starts, they'd eclipsed this 16-game NFL record. They are not a sure thing, I don't think, to beat that record, by the way, this year, because they're only about 113 yards above pace, and they've got some tougher games coming up. And they, One of the things that's, that, that helps you 
with that kind of record is being able to cruise to the finish line in these games the way they have. So, you know, they've got to have seven to 10 point leads fairly regularly down the stretch. And I think that'll be more difficult for them with their remaining schedule than the teams they've played so far. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. The, the 78 Patriots. Mm-hmm. So Steve Not Grogan at quarterback. Who? Steve Grogan was at quarterback. How old are you, Josh? Just so I know. 63. Okay, so I'm 56. So we, we grew up with some of the same football, and football in the 70s, we overlapped. Yes. <laughs> so, so Steve Grogan was the, the quarterback for the Patriots who first challenged the Colts of the Jones era. Yeah. And then they had uh, Sam, we used to call him Sam Bam Cunningham, but that's it was yeah. Sam Cunningham. He was the leading rusher. Nobody had over about 800 yards on that team, but they still rushed for 3165 as a unit. They had a bunch of running backs. Wow. Is that Ron Meyer? I think might have been Ron Meyer. Okay, I can't tell you who was the coach at that point. Yeah, might have been. I, I covered Ron Meyer as a college coach at SMU, the Mustang, uh, the Pony Express that they did the huh. 30 on. So, uh, yeah, so that's uh, uh, I know he had time up there. I think that may have been. I'm not sure. So, Houston, it, was it were you there when Houston ran up the big game on SMU? No, I uh, I, I was there for Eric Dickerson and Craig James and uh. Uh, Lance McElhenney and uh, you know they were uh, you know it was a very high payroll and mm-hmm. uh, uh, no I was there I, I covered them in the let's see it would be the early 80s okay all right that's uh, that's great certainly one of the one of the really interesting stories of all time is them coming off the death penalty and get beaten 95-21 by Houston I think it was during the Andre, Andre Ware era do I have the right yeah I was pre-death penalty with them I was okay. for doing all the stuff that got them the death penalty. <laughs> so that's what you meant by the high payroll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a very interesting time. All right. There's another interesting Patriots fact coming into this game. The Patriots and the Ravens were 1-2 in the league in terms of plus snaps per game. So the Pats had outsnapped their opponents by 14 snaps per game, which, by the way, ridiculous number, and the Ravens by 13.9. Prior to the Seattle game, they were plus 18 for the Ravens. So they had come down to 13.9. But wouldn't you know it, these two league-leading offensive juggernauts uh, ran into a 65-65 tie in terms of, of snap count in this game, largely due to the fact that they, they lost the drive, quote-unquote, to Humphrey's fumble return. Whoa, so same snap count, exactly. 65, yep. Isn't that interesting? But the Ravens had the ball for, what, 14 more minutes, something like that. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a big believer that it's, it's the number of snaps you run that really drain the effort of the defense. So I love, you know, you, you need to get rid of the clock to, to close out a game. And I want to talk about that in just a second. But the, uh, uh, I'm a big believer that if you're trying to get a defense tired, it's actual snap count that's the more important thing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I think both defenses had a little span in that game when they were tired. Yeah. yeah. Well, this was the you, you mentioned that this is the third straight game where they put away an opponent with a fourth quarter drive of nine plus minutes. Three straight games. Unheard of, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and they they weren't touchdowns. It was field goal, field goal, field goal, touchdown in this case. But they've only had 16 such drives at any point during a game in their entire history. And they've had the last three games. They've they've had one in the fourth quarter to close out the game. Wow. That that, that I mean, very honestly, uh, I mean that's uh, I mean they're not going to do it every week. Obviously, they're not going to come close. But that 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 is. That is uh, a killer instinct, and uh, that, that is championship caliber football. 
uh, you know, you can't say that uh, everything they're doing is that, but that is. If you can't, mm-hmm. you know, have opponent right there and just put them down and it's sort of in the game, that's, that's great stuff. I mean, that that is how you get far in the season and uh, maybe deep in the playoffs. And so uh, I am sure that uh, uh, John Harbaugh and his, his group is loving that. But uh, a little bit of help is, 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 is never never hurts. And there's been the Patriots certainly helped with one of those drives with penalties. Uh, uh, a couple of third down penalties that they mm-hmm. drives. They, they did that. I believe the Ravens got four first downs by penalty in that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is a very high number and a shocking number from the Patriots who are famous for not beating themselves. Uh, very definitely uh, beat themselves in some respects in this game. So, but uh, nonetheless, credit to the Ravens for doing it. You know, this is, this is something where I think a lot of the rest of the nation, in fact, 31 other fan bases are happy to see the Patriots get stuck this way pretty much. Uh, maybe not the Steelers. Maybe they're one of the others that doesn't. But for Brady to be knocked down 10 times in a game and have zero flags thrown, the rest of the NFL is saying it's about freaking time. Yeah, yeah. And he was calling for it early in the game. He definitely was. He was, he was chatting up the, the refs big time early in the game. And then he stopped. He stopped. Uh, he stopped the <clears throat> third quarter, second half. I didn't see him doing that a whole lot. And he, he got hit a lot. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that – and <clears throat> I'm sure the Ravens are thrilled about that. I mean, they you know, they hit him legally. Uh, you never know what they're going to call. But uh, there, there's no doubt. I'm sure the, the third – the fan bases were thrilled to see that. Thrilled to see Belichick over on that sideline grousing. They don't know – you know, who knows yeah. what he's grousing about. But uh, it wasn't going his way. And, uh, you know, the guy jumps offside. Uh, uh, a four-point offside penalty there on the first drive of the mm-hmm. game just infuriated him. I mean, he was livid over there. I don't believe you can put whatever he was mouthing. You know, they slowed down the slow-mo. Not pretty, uh, you know, what he was saying. But uh, very unusual for the Patriots. And and so, uh, they, you know, I don't know that you give the Ravens credit for that, but uh, they were definitely off their feet a little bit. Yeah. They, you know, one thing you never see, and, and head coaches will often talk about this when they move up from coordinator to head coach, is that, they're going to keep their eyes on the field in their new role. The coordinators are going to be responsible for offense, for defense, for whatever. Of course, the Patriots, the Patriots have a little bit different situation. Bill Belichick went into that defensive sideline huddle while the Patriots' offense was on the field. Now, he knows it's in good hands with McDaniels and with Brady. It's probably fine. But he went in there and he dressed those guys down in terms of what they'd done to, to get down 17 nothing in that game. And, and that was uh, that was really something to see in terms of, of uh, the Patriots, you know, getting told what's up from uh, from the boss. Well, it is. I mean, they are they are amazing. My, you know, everybody hates them here and, 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 I, and I get it. And they, they do drive you nuts. They are they are amazing to watch. Uh, even in defeat, you see things like that. I mean, that, that's interesting to watch Belichick, probably the greatest coach ever. Just go in there and light those guys up. I mean. Tom Brady at 42 uh, in that game was pretty. I mean, he didn't have a great game, and he was under a lot of duress. But uh, he certainly ran that no huddle. That was a thing of beauty uh, for for a lot of the night. And uh, you can see why they're so good. Uh, you know, they held their like we were talking earlier, held their gaps on the uh, on uh, the defensive rush. I mean, they're just so well coached. But you know, 
they slipped up. They, there were some slip-ups in that game, and, and it really cost them. And, you know, they're human. That's the way it goes. So uh, one thing I noticed, the Baltimore fans, nobody left. No one left because how many nights are you going to be at a game on national television and watch your team beat the snot out of the New England Patriots? And so everybody stayed to enjoy every minute of that. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was a great night. I, I certainly had lost my voice by the end of the night. Very fun to, fun to be there. You, you, you watch the game, I assume, from the press box, John, or do you have other, other seats? Press box. Okay, so you're uh, restricted in terms of how you can behave there, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, what, what's the famous book? No cheering in the press box. Yeah. I, I used to do pitch by pitch scoring for Stats Inc. years ago. And that was one of the things I, I did forget where I was once and, and said something about Bill Ripken, you know, a very positive way and and uh, got a lot of eyeballs. At the <laughs> yeah. time, anyway. Well, uh, baseball press boxes are uh, very, very heavily governed places, as you know, you know, they, they don't look kindly on that stuff. Football is actually a little easier going, but uh, baseball for sure. No, you know, don't even think about it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So maybe we go through a few other skill position players here. Take a few minutes with this. Uh, pick them out one at a time who you'd like to talk with. But why don't you pick a player and we'll we'll have a little back and forth on him. My, do you want me to pick one? Sure. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about Ingram. Uh, as I said, he was the 16th highest, uh, 16th storyline coming out of that game. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, uh, this, this, what, I, what's interesting about him is his role continues to expand a little bit. Uh, you know, I've written it several times. Uh, I feel like he was a little underutilized, I think in the first five or six, seven games, really like what he's bringing to the table. He's running hard and, uh, you know, uh, I don't have the next gen stats in front of me, but he's always a great yards after contact guy. And uh, just run so tough. He is really what the Ravens are all about. And uh, they were throwing to him the other night. And uh, I like that. He's got good hands. He can really do anything on the football field. He's a good blocker. And uh, I, I just think uh, when they signed him, uh, uh, I mean, I was pretty happy with the Gus last year. And mm -hmm. That was kind of fun to watch. And, and uh, I felt kind of badly for Gus. And they bring this guy in. But uh, I, I get it entirely while they brought him he's a really good football player a well-rounded football player and uh, has a lot to do with what's happening with the ravens right now I, I really love what how they used him as a receiver in this game and he caught two or three balls for 29 but he made he made those plays with yards after the catch and we talked earlier about the one ball that jackson short-armed and actually overthrew him in this particular case down the right sideline that's the first target that he has not caught all year he's 14 of 15 targets caught uh, he'd gone, in, that said, he'd gone four straight games where he'd only gotten a total of 34 yards receiving. So the Ravens hadn't been utilizing him in their receiving game. To see him come back in that way is good. Uh, really good to see him you know, keep running the ball effectively even after the fumble. That was a very costly fumble, obviously, in the game. Uh, the Patriots did not do much on a long field, no huddle or not. They did not do much on a long field against the Ravens because they, they didn't have any big playability in that game and no willingness, just like Jackson, to really go down the field into the teeth of the Ravens secondary. So yeah. they had two plays over 18 yards. That was it. Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't, they didn't test them downfield at all. Uh, it, it, it really appeared to me that they don't feel they have the weapons to do that. Uh, you know, I don't know what's going on though, but uh, I mean, of course that's the new England offense. I mean, they've done it in the Super Bowl. They've done it in all sorts of, and you just watch those crossing routes and uh, you know, Brady's a master at that stuff and he'll hit that pass. He'll hit 25 in a row. Uh, but they're not challenging you. So, uh, you know, I think in a game like this, it kind of, it, 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 uh, they looked a little 
they looked a little old and tired, very honestly. I think mm-hmm. a little bit offensively. Yep, yep, couldn't agree more. Uh, let me pick a player next. I will. I'll talk about Chris Moore because a lesser-known player, obviously, had a little bit of a blow-up this week. He'd been on the field more offensively in previous games, not as much as last year when he was really used a lot as a run blocker and was effective when used as a receiver. The guy, I got to say, it's very, it's kind of a sad story, not an uncommon story for the NFL in his fourth year, is not getting a lot of playing time. He knows it. He wants to you know, earn a contract somewhere next year. I think the Ravens would love for him to stay or, or they'd wish the best for him. Obviously, he goes and for, for lots of reasons. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, he's just not getting the opportunities given the couple of rookies they brought in. And even his special teams role does not seem to be as big as it has been in the past. I would agree. He's not making the plays like he did. Uh, I don't know. I, I think uh, certainly uh, th- that's two different things. I think, first of all, as a, as a receiver, uh, I, I think uh, this is just sort of my inclination uh, I think the Ravens made the judgment before this season that, uh, you know, he's a number four guy. He is, uh, he is not going to be a guy that, uh, that you're going to put on the field. He just wasn't consistent enough. I think bringing in pass, you know, he just wasn't consistent enough making plays, catching, catching the ball, uh, certainly an athletic guy and fast, but they made that judgment and you're just seeing now, uh, I mean, that's part of the reason they drafted two receivers. You know, they felt like the, the depth chart was a little bit empty. And so, uh, you know, and you, you have to have, I mean, this is a tight end based offense. There's no way it comes to receivers. So maybe you need your wide receivers a little less, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it's unfortunate for Chris and he isn't doing as much on special teams this year. So I don't know. It's a little surprising to me, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it, at this point, I would I would say it, if you'd ask me at the beginning of the year, I'd say, yeah, they, it's a guy they can bring back as a towards the bottom of the depth chart receiver and as good special teams player. But I've just not seen as much of the special teams this year. So, yeah, I don't know what his future is here. Right. If if they did bring him back, I mean, just just hypothesizing that the kind of contract they'd want to bring him back on is the kind of contract they've been able to sign with McClellan and Levine and players like that, where they'd sign him for, you know, two years, three million kind of thing. I don't know if there's a better, better deal out there for him. But I think if if I were Chris Moore or Chris Moore's agent, I'd want him to take a flyer somewhere at one year for maybe even the minimum salary, take a little bit less money to get a chance to play receiver. Yeah, I would agree totally with that. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. So uh, if he if he has hopes, if he harbors any hopes, it's going to be somewhere else. All right, your turn. Pick another player. Uh, another player. Uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about Pat Ricard. Uh, Pat Ricard is blowing my mind. Uh, what they're what they're doing with him, uh, with uh, you know the role that the bigger role that he's got on offense now is uh, just incredible. And uh, using him, and I know you've charted it. You know they're using him in a number of different ways, uh, and uh, it just seems he's on the field a lot. And uh, he seems to be more of an offensive player than a defensive player now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, they're using him to block. It's a, it has a lot to do with, with the physical style that they're playing. I think they like what he brings to the table. And, uh, boy, he certainly looked uh, uh, athletic catching that ball out in the flat and running. Uh, uh, you know, definitely added stuff there, too. So How, how cool is that to see him not be willing to go down, even though there are four Patriots on him? They blew the whistle. The Patriots went away, 
And then he he's like ripping the football loose, and then he wants to go over and hand it to the official. It's like he hasn't he hasn't had the ball enough, obviously, to know what the normal protocols are with that. But that was just very impressive. I saw that. I'm on the sideline. I'd want to be getting him another reception or two, which might have been part of the deal there. But uh, very exciting player. You know what's really interesting here? I thought was more the Ravens went very light on defense in this game, and Patrick Ricard was their fourth defensive lineman for this game, which is a big risk. Yep. to take against a team which might hold the ball a lot on you. You're going to have to play the same defensive lineman, you know, a, a, lot, a large number of snaps. Uh, Ricard still, even with this, did not play many defensive snaps this game. I think it was four against the Patriots. And let me just confirm that for a second. Yeah, four snaps. So it's it wasn't like he was on the field a lot, but uh, uh, he certainly was on the field offensively, and it gives you basically a pulling guard every time he's in motion. Yeah. Even if he's not playing guard. Between Ricard and Boyle? Uh, and I think Boyle, I don't think he, I think Boyle, in terms of snaps, I don't have it in front of me, but it was, he was on the field a ton in that game, Nick Boyle. And so you've got Boyle and Ricard out there. It's like having seven linemen. Yes, it's exactly and, like that. Yeah. And, and so that tells you everything that you need to know about what the Ravens are doing. Okay, so Boyle with 59 snaps of 70, they ran offensively, and Ricard with 27. So between the two of them, they played 123% of the snaps. So it's, it's 1.23 snaps per play. That is a lot. And uh, meanwhile, I think the other tight ends, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Andrews, he didn't play. He, he, he played maybe 25 snaps. 24, and you know, he comes in to receive the football. So he's in there on passing downs to, to make yeah. a catch. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so it's just, you know, 50 to 59 for uh, Boyle. I mean, Boyle and Ricard, uh, that's just, uh, that's, you know, the, uh, the, that's the, the strong arm football that they're playing when they have both those guys out there. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm amazed. I mean, here we're talking about Chris Moore, a guy who stars falling uh you know ricards is rising big time and uh, i think they love what he brings to the table yeah all right all right i'll pick one more and we can justice hill was a guy i thought would get more of a chance in this game just because his speed and ability to get into space maybe make a reception hill hadn't had a reception in quite some time and the only target he got in this game was after the very extensive scramble by lamar that ended up by the right sideline threw the ball all the way down on the right sideline, and Hill was just out of bounds, uh, you know, didn't have a shot at the football. That, to me, was a shame. I mean, obviously, this is a game where if you want to do one thing, it's use your speed against the Patriots' very modest athleticism and team speed that they have in levels two and three. You know, you don't want to test their secondary with ball skills, but you do want to test their secondary speed and their linebacker speed. And They didn't really... They didn't do a lot of that. They didn't. They didn't do as much as they could have. It's a game where they scored thirty-seven. It's hard to really get down on the on the offense too much. But if they wanted to do one thing differently, if they, it would have been to use Hill and Boykin a little bit more in space. Yeah, definitely. But uh, I don't see it happening a whole lot. And uh, Hill's, uh, you know, snap count is not very high. And uh, I don't know. It, it, it you know, it, it definitely has not come together for him yet. Uh, this year, he had uh, the one game, I can't remember, was it Pittsburgh, I think, where he had uh, nine or ten carries. Uh, it wasn't Pittsburgh, but I can't remember which game. But he, he he did have a decent load. I felt like they were determined to get him going. It was a home game, and I can't remember which one. Yeah, the opener against Miami, he had seven for 27. He had five for 31 against Cincinnati. So 
It hasn't been much. 21 carries on the year now. No, so I think you're looking in, I don't know, second half of the season, maybe he'll start to carry more. Uh, I'm not sure that we're going to see a ton of that. Uh, maybe we will. I don't know. But uh, if anything, I think Ingram's load may go up a little bit. they got some tough games coming up. I think they're really happy with uh, Gus Edwards as the number two. and They don't want to, uh, if anything, they want him to get the ball more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Hill may be getting squeezed out a little bit here, even though he has a different skill set and brings to the table the speed that you want. Uh, uh, you know, the productivity is another thing. And uh, if, I mean, it's a situation where you'd like to have two footballs and uh, you don't. So some things get squeezed out. And uh, th- that could be the case here. I-, I don't know. I just haven't seen it happening yet, and I'm not 100% sure it will. Yeah, I, I agree. And I- oftentimes the third string running back gets his opportunity with injury, and it hasn't happened, yeah. obviously, here. So if that did were to occur, then I'm sure Hill would get plenty of carries, and, and yeah. you know he'd be used, and we'd really see what we have. And, uh, yeah, he's be- talented. He is a very talented young man. I mean, he does – you can see it in practice, and so uh, you, they, they, you know it's just a matter of sort of governing that until you maybe start to show it on the field. All right. Well, let's let's look at the Ravens' season a little bit a little bit further here. And where do you see them? Where do they fit among the AFC contenders from your point of view? Now, uh, I would say uh, I was shocked. I was looking at a graphic on TV. I think uh, you know, and they're currently the number two seed, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's only six winning teams in the AFC right now. Uh, and, you know, those six would be in the playoffs. And uh, that was a little surprising to me. So uh, it's not a huge uh, upper class in the <laughs> AFC because uh, that is a class that includes Buffalo, who I think is, uh, you know, I'm not sure about them. Uh, so uh, the Ravens are certainly right there with. Uh, I mean, the Patriots, I mean, to, to me, the best teams uh, in the AFC, the Patriots certainly are. The Chiefs, uh, especially when, when Mahomes is healthy, I, I think will be uh, right there as well. And I think the Ravens are, are with those guys. Uh, I, I think that they can, uh, uh, I think the Texans, you also have the Houston Texans, I think are maybe a step back, but they'll come in here and play in a couple of weeks. So we'll, they'll get the, the test of their medal. But uh, those would be the teams, I think, that would uh, be the ones. And the Ravens belong in that crew. Uh, there's no question about it. I mean, they haven't had the Chiefs here yet. And, uh, I mean, a- after you've beaten the Patriots as soundly as they did, there's no doubt it would be a different game in New England. But, uh, you know, hey, they played up there enough. You know, this time it was mm-hmm. here, and that's the way it goes. So uh, uh, I think the Ravens are for real. I, I think that uh, they can play with these teams, and uh, they're right there with the best. You've been, I'm sure, to those four playoff games in New England. I was there, of course, as well. And uh, those games, the Ravens handled the Patriots pretty pretty handily in all four games, in fact. The, the Patriots were very lucky to get out of there with two wins among those four games that include the Lee Evans and Cundiff game and include the, uh, the, the two 14-point comebacks in 2014, uh, the deflated football gate that uh you know was going on at that time and then the the ravens you know handed them their their rear ends pretty badly in in the 2009 game and again in the 2012 afc championship so uh it's i i don't i personally you know as a fan don't have any fear that the ravens going up to new england and playing will will face any significant differences i mean the patriots if i look at the no huddle they ran here in baltimore i'm saying if they can do it in that noise they can run the no huddle anywhere and the, the Ravens completely handled it under those circumstances. 
So yeah. the, the, uh, they were able to make the substitutions they needed. They were able to get the blitz packages in that they needed. Uh, very complex set. I, I, I think they're perfectly capable of being. The team I'm more afraid of is the Chiefs in Kansas City. Yeah, that's a tough game. They're already over two there with Lamar. And uh, that's a tough place to play. Very loud, great fans. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that is uh, so it comes down to seeding and winning some of these games and maybe getting some games here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the number two seed is a lovely thing to shoot for. I think the Patriots in the end will be their number one probably again. I mean, they just don't. Yeah, I mean, they, they've already played the Jets twice, I think. Uh, so they, they have some tougher games, but uh, they're going to be tough to catch just generally. Uh, and the Ravens have some tough games, too. But uh, you get that number two seed, boy, that's a game changer. You know, you only have to win one game at home to get to the conference championship game. That's a great thing. And uh, plus, uh, you maybe we get Kansas City here instead of there. Yeah. So uh, I think the buy is worth the is something. I, I, I do think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but uh, I, I think uh, the buy is, is, a, is a great goal for this team. Right. I, I am. I'm actually very concerned that the Steelers could still win the division and, and the Ravens would be traveling there. But uh, uh, but anyway, it is what it is. And, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Josh, how are we doing for mailbag questions tonight? All right. We've got a few questions here in the mailbag. Again, this is a chance for the listeners to drive the show by using the hashtag film study mailbag on Twitter to get your questions in. And we're going to start it off with Spencer, who says, uh, you often mention that the Ravens' uh, run game is right-handed, but both Ingram's 53-yarder and then the touchdown by Gus both went to the left. Is that something they've been working on, or is it a wrinkle that they were throwing at the Pats? Okay, there's a couple things going on here. Um, the Okay, the right-handedness means that they usually line up their tight end on the strong side over there, and they run their, their uh, power run, which is usually the pulling guard. It usually goes from left to right. So that's what I'm referring to when I say it's right-handed. Uh, the Ravens run a lot of misdirection off that. So now they use this bash concept where they pull both the left tackle and the left guard. And the times we have seen that, they've been running left just as often as they've been running right. They, in fact, uh, had Edwards had a 25-yard run a couple weeks ago where it was it was run left opposite the, the uh, pull of the left tackle and left guard. So there's some stuff going on like that. Ingram also picks his cutback lane. And I'm trying to remember the case in, in the 53-yard run exactly where he cut through the line. Uh, but I don't think it was all the way at left tackle. I think it was it was maybe over the A gap on the left side. I'd really have to look at the film again to make sure I'm I'm knowing what uh, where he was on that play. All right, um, all right, Alex. We're going to go with his question. The Ravens' offense seemed to be moving the ball and holding the ball at will. Yes, uh, on Sunday. His question is: What Pat's defensive look was the most successful at containing the Ravens' offense? That's interesting. Uh, I'm not really sure I'm I'm qualified to opine on that. Um, They're talking about like cover two as opposed to cover zero or, you know. Right. Like, is there something that the Patriots did that was good at stopping Lamar? And I guess you can even expand it to the storyline that's going around uh, social media since Sunday night about how Belichick held back and didn't show uh-huh. all the tricks up his sleeve to try to win this game. He, he showed us the biggest trick of all, that they're old and slow. That's the, <laughs> that's the biggest trick of all that the Patriots have. Uh, but, yeah, uh, 
It's an interesting question because, John, I don't know how you feel about this, but one of the things I've been harping on kind of this last week leading up to the game was that the Patriots are, are a system team. That yeah. they're, a, they're a team with a, a lot of middle-aged football players. And Lawrence Guy is a good example. Great guy, good player while he was with the Ravens, but he's a system player. He's not an individual, unique talent. And if he's your stud lineman, like Collinsworth was referring to them, uh, you know, across that line. I mean, they've got a they've got a bunch of journeymen basically playing with great scheme to get good results. Yeah, uh, yeah. I uh, it, it is sort of a no name defense. You know, the old standby. Offense, and, yeah. and uh, yeah, so uh, the names don't knock you out at all. They they just play so well. They're so smart. Uh, I, I, for the record, am not a believer at all in this conspiracy theory that Belichick held something. <laughs> I, I, I would say this. What was it? What did he hold back? I mean, what, some blitz package? That uh, What would it be? Some other, I mean, they threw like five different coverages. What's left? I mean, they shot two different spies at Lamar. Mm-hmm. Uh, they threw a lot at him. I, I, I would have serious doubts about the fact it's like you know he's over in the corner there with his the double secret whatever he's yeah. got uh i'm sorry not a buyer yeah they, they did not have any two-man drops from the line of scrimmage that's one of the elements of deception i look from the pass rush but i don't record their blitzes and stunts separately i just know from from some of the ones that got missed i've got that written in here they tried to run at that a gap the ravens a gap on the left side to try and take advantage of skirt and bozeman on some of their blitz packages I think they did a fair amount of probing there. I, it's really hard for me to get behind that theory, and I even wonder if this is coming from a Patriots fan trying to figure out, you know, what we saw from this game, or if we're just, you know, going to be bullheaded about how dominant the Ravens are. I think, you know, the Patriots have amazing scheme, and we saw last year in the playoff game against the Chargers. It can change with a different scheme the second time around. I just don't know how it will completely change with the personnel the Patriots have the second time around. Yeah, and even if it does change, it's like it, it wasn't like they the first time around they said, "Oh, we're this would really work." But we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. It's like I, I'm sorry, the, the, these the, the, these NFL doesn't work that way. These, these these teams would not do that. Well, uh, Patriot fans are not used to their team getting just punched in the mouth in a surprise like Sunday, so they've got to come up with something to talk right. about it. Uh, next question up is. Uh, how has Lamar's read progressions improved? You mentioned the ample time and space and giving him time back there, but have you noticed an improvement in his read? Okay, so there's a couple levels of reads which I which I look at. First of all, they had a, a ton of read option football they do in this. So you, you can't just look at the passes, but the, the read option plays, I thought he did an exceptional job of making the choice to pull or or leave the ball for the for the running back. Uh, I think that went very well. In in terms of going through receivers. Uh, he gets rid of the ball fairly quickly. I think he's probably a little faster at processing the field than Joe Flacco was. And it may also have been that Joe Flacco had a different order of reads he was going through. But one of the things to, to really kind of key on if you're questioning the reads is how often does he throw to the same receiver? And there still is some of that we see with uh, with Jackson and very, very commonly going to Mark Andrews. Yep, yep. Andrews and, and uh, Hollywood a little bit. Yeah. But uh, when he's healthy and on the field, uh, for what it's worth, uh, this uh, this I have heard around the building. I mean, the Ravens are delighted, and 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 this is not just a function of him playing better this year. 
they were delighted last year with his ability to see the field and make reads. And uh, long before he was playing, long before he was the regular, uh, you know, uh, they felt like uh, that is a skill he brought to the table that uh, I don't know if they expected that or they thought they were drafting that. But uh, certainly Marty Morningwig uh, was aware of it. You know, and the fans have a lot of fun with Marty and he's the banished, the vanquished coordinator. He does know a lot of football. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, very early on uh, was willing to tell people, uh, you know, privately, you know, we've got something here because this kid can see the field. It just happens naturally. And uh, better than Joe, I would say yes. I would say they feel like it is better. I'm, you know, I'm not meaning to bash Joe here, but uh, I think they feel like it's a, it's an advantage, uh, Lamar, on that situation. He's it's just the skill that he's got. All right. Um, I, I promised somebody we'd get to Miggy's question here. Do you, do you have it there? I believe Miggy's question is the next one up. Okay. I've got two more I want to finish up with, and Miggy is the second to last question. Who he is wondering about Skura. Uh, so he's wondering if this, if it's wise to extend Skura this off season, and if using a second round tender would represent too high of a risk to lose him to a team looking to add a reliable veteran. Okay, I'll answer the second part of this question. Then, John, you answer the first. A second round tender will scare off anyone. No one is gonna is gonna yeah. sign Skura if they put a second round tender, which means they pay him three million. To me, it seems like the path of least resistance to use for next year. Uh, what do you think about it, John? In terms of an extension after three years instead of four? Um, yeah, I mean, he he would be, I think, a pretty good candidate there. Uh, I feel like he's sort of answering the question: Can he be our center on a good offense? And uh, it appears to be he. I mean, he's not. He, he's done everything they've asked of him, and and uh, go back to these things we said earlier about how the the the, the offensive line appears to be a pretty well run well run unit right now. He has a hand in that, so I think yeah, it's possible, and it may not break the bank. So yeah, I love those those extensions that don't break the bank. Right. That's that's that really is the key there. Would they would they could they get him for a deal that'd be similar to what Hearst maybe made, which is four years, 17 million. I think it would probably be there or a little bit less. It'd be an early uh, thing. And, and if he might be giving up some money because if he if he goes through play bets on himself, plays the fourth year, has a good year, he could easily get four years, 28 million, 30 million somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, he could. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I would, uh, easy for me to say, but I might be, uh, you know, uh, I mean, that, that would be a pretty good deal though on the table and extension. Some of these guys want to take these things. It's money in the bank. And, uh, but he would be a candidate for it for sure. And yeah, John, you've, you've dealt with a lot of players. So Matt Skura is probably not living in a house in the top neighborhood in the entire Owings Mills area or wherever he's probably living in, you know, a modest life at this point. A lot of people don't realize just how tenuous his football career is at this point in terms of how much money he's going to earn at this game. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, this this second contract's a huge thing. I mean, and you come in as an undrafted free agent, that sets your level, and uh, uh, you live with that through your first contract. So, uh uh, like with Hurst, you know, a couple of years ago, that second contract is everything. It's mm-hmm. everything. And so, uh, you know, far be it from me or from anyone to say, you know, take less. Uh, you know, you want to max out. This is, that is his opportunity. 
Right. And it, it really is. And he'll probably only get one opportunity if he goes on and, and, you know, plays a few more years in the league. And in fact, it's another extension. It'll just, he'll beat the odds by even more to do it that way. But he is the kind of player I think he'd, he'd be sharp enough to realize it might be time to not bet everything on my fourth year. Yeah. I mean, especially if it's a decent extension. I don't know. I can't walk in the shoes of these guys that get offered this kind of money. Uh, uh, you know, just who I am, I'd say, well, I think I'll take that. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. All right. All right. All right, Ken, you, you mentioned where linemen are living in their houses, which gives me a chance to tell John I'd really like a story on Bradley Bozeman's home because I learned this week that he doesn't live in a house. He lives in like a fifth-wheel trailer because they, didn't, they got tired of paying rent. Uh, that, that is news to me. You're breaking news to me. Wow. There. I, yeah. will, I will investigate that. And uh, He was on Glenn Clark Radio this week, uh, him and Nikki talking about it. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> but let's close out the mailbag with uh, about Marquise Brown. And this guy's wondering, do you think Marquise has been sacrificing yardage in order to avoid hits after catches? Because you saw that twice in the Patriots where he caught the ball and kind of went towards the sideline. I, I did. I noticed it the first time on the uh, fairly late in the game where he took about a yard loss, but I had the same feeling. You know what? I, watching punt returns growing up back in the 70s, there would often be a punt returner who would go two or three yards back to try and bubble past the defense, and it didn't seem to work very often. When it does work, it's a lot of yards. When it doesn't work, it looks stupid, and it looks like the guy doesn't want to, don't want to take a hit. In Hollywood Brown's case, I don't want him to take a hit. Like Jackson, he's too important to the Ravens to the offense to be out there on the field. Yeah, that was that was kind of extreme case of avoiding hit the other night. A uh, couple of them, and uh, uh, that, that's a that's a guy that is he is avoiding those hits, and I, I'm actually okay with it. Uh, just sort of observing him and ear to the ground up there. You know, he's playing, he's out there, he's healthy. I I don't know that we're going to see him at a full go, hundred percent all year. Uh, I think uh, you know. Cam Newton just went on IR with Liz Frank, right? Isn't that a Liz Frank uh, foot injury, uh, I believe? And uh, those are serious injuries and very serious. Talk to Jimmy Smith about it. He still feels it from mm-hmm. 2014. And uh, I don't think Hollywood's 100%. And I think he's being very careful out there. And, uh, you know, I hope, I hope he is next year. Uh, and he's still on pace, too. I looked it up. I think close to 50 catches and 750 yards this year. Uh, that's the pace that he's on halfway through the season, close to that, I think. So that's a pretty decent year for a guy that, uh, you know, a rookie. But uh, I think he's doing it uh, with uh, a little bit of he's being he's compromised a little bit. And uh, I think that should govern all observations of Hollywood this year. All right. Uh, all right, John. Well, thank you for joining us. I'm assuming our listeners are already reading your stuff over at BaltimoreRavens.com. If not, they should be, and they should go and uh, pick up your books, uh, The League and The Streak. Uh, I get them both on Audible. That's how I listen to The Streak. Haven't haven't done The League yet, but it's sitting there on my phone waiting. And then they should follow you. They should follow you on Twitter at Bmore Eisenberg. Yes, thank you. Appreciate that, and. Uh... Yeah, check out the podcast, too. That's definitely something I've spent a lot of time on this fall and uh, and uh, have enjoyed a lot going back and finding some of these old guys that have, uh, well, they're not so old, but they have interesting stories. Yeah, it's always interesting. Football seems to have that, I guess, more than any sport about after football, they're doing something completely different with their life. Yeah, 
Yeah, it is. I, I've learned a lot, and you know, I've written a number of books, and I've dealt with a lot of former players, and uh, I, I have a little bit of an understanding of the former player population. But uh, it, it is, you know, there's so much about uh, in the news about head injuries and head trauma and all that stuff's real. But uh, you know, you they sort of get uh, painted with a broad brush. Some of these former players, and uh, it just could not be farther from the truth. Uh, it is a very interesting population of sharp guys that are doing a lot of things, and uh, it's fun to sort of dive into some of them. Yeah, that's great. And Ken, how about uh, FilmStudyBaltimore.com? Usual stuff is out there. I uh, want to encourage people to get in for a film study, film study short. So if you've got a question that's too complex for the mailbag, I'll try and message you on that, or you can message me if it's something you want to present, and we'll get you on on a, on a podcast for a 10- or 15-minute uh, segment that's all its own. We're trying to create a more digestible format that's not an hour, hour and 15 minutes, although people love to hear us talk for that long, right, John? That's absolutely. The more the merrier. <laughs> by the word. <laughs> all right. Well, terrific. John, couldn't couldn't appreciate more of you coming on. Thanks so much. It's been, a, it's been a delight to talk to you about this and to talk about a specific game and weave in some of your historical understanding of this team has been a great, uh, a great joy. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, happy to come on here. Always enjoy it. So, uh, so uh, thanks for having me. All right. Have a good night. Thank you. We're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.